The Retrogasmic Podcast is brought to you by Rosemary.nz, a one-woman business that designs and makes beautiful hot rod, rock and roll, and Kiwi Iona-themed men's shirts. Hop onto Rosemary.nz and see the vast selection of fabric choices and designs. That's Rosemary.nz. We interrupt this program to give you a bulletin just received from one of our naval units at sea. A large object traveling at supersonic speed is headed over the North Atlantic. Once a normal, voluptuously beautiful woman, she drove into a nightmare of horror and saw descending from the sky. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Retrogasmic Podcast. I'm your happy but slightly getting over a cold and therefore a little bit croaky host, Didi Deluxe. And we're going to kick off today's show with a wonderful little ditty sung by Mamie Smith in 1920. And this is her version of Perry Bradford's Crazy Blues. Thank you. 
So, in case you hadn't already guessed, today's show is dedicated to the blues. In previous shows, we've uh, featured a few real rare blues tracks, and uh, we've had some great feedback from people, so we decided to do an entire show on the subject. We'll try and roughly go through in chronological order as much as we can. Um, that was one of the very earliest recordings. Um, as far as we can see, it was the earliest female African-American blues vocal on, on record anywhere. Um, there are some recordings from as early as 1910, 1912. They're, they're pretty scratchy. And um, again, I think we'll probably feature those um, as a rare blues section in another show. So the blues started off um, 1860, 1870 um, with the, uh, the end of slavery and kind of um, African-American uh, communities that had been singing whilst working and uh, religious songs, spiritual songs, lots of simple melodies and uh, regular beats, um, call and response kind of chants um, and little stories, little ballads that kind of made up what became the blues. Um, as it developed and moved on through um, patterns like the 12 bar um, 12 bar blues came out and um, I mean early on traditional blues tended to be single you know a single line like I woke up this morning something happened I woke up this morning something else happened I woke up this morning, you know and then a, a kind of a resolver but they, it gradually developed and there were many many variations on that theme now there's a whole bunch of uh, what people refer to as blues scales and blues progressions but uh this is really isn't a, a kind of a technical podcast, and I'm sure most of you listening would rather listen to people playing blue scales and blues progressions rather than me trying to explain them. Um, we'll kick off with our kind of historical approach with uh, what they call pre-war blues. Um, the American sheet music industry was was churning out uh, a lot of ragtime music, and 1910, 1911, 1912. Um, there were three or four popular blues-like comp- compositions that um, became quite well-known and quite popular. And there was a composer called W.C. Handy um, who wrote and put together a song called Memphis Blues. Later on, he wrote a song called St. Louis Blues, which has now become a, a, a blues and jazz classic. Um, one of the aspects of kind of this era was that the arrangements allowed them to be sung um, with big orchestras and with big um, big choirs so it really suited the kind of existing uh, gospel and church community and and I think that's a lot of the reason why they got adopted um, by by those groups of people just have a listen to this this is live um, if you've never seen the video, hop onto YouTube, just Google Bessie Smith, St. Louis Blues, 1929. It's her standing in a bar, basically singing. It's astonishing, absolutely astonishing. I mean, the, the recording's fairly primitive. This is you know, 1929, of course, but, um, but it's a, a real great example of um, the, the style of the blues of that time. Um, it starts off with the single vocal and I mean you can really really feel the emotion it's a very honest authentic performance and then when the when the choir kicks in later on it's just ah oh. have a listen this is St Louis Blues from 1929 my man's got a heart like a rock yes, in the 
Bessie Smith, uh, she was signed to Columbia Records and uh, her and her sister basically started off busking in the streets outside the um, the White Elephant Saloon on 13th and Elm <laughs> in Chattanooga. Um, they were basically skint like pretty much everyone, especially uh, African-Americans at that time. And the busking was just basically a way of making ends meet. She had an incredibly powerful voice. 
she's a contralto, so she's actually got quite a lot of bottom end in her voice. And and the recording back then was basically one or two microphones in the room with all the musicians around them, and the the power of her voice meant it sat above everything, and it suited it very well. Later on, when uh, electronic recording came in, I think people then realised the real, real power the lady had. She was very, very successful, but upset as many people as she made fans. Her lyrical content was very much... um, exposing the inequalities within American society that some argue is still there today. And she, um, you know, she basically sang about independence and fearlessness and sexual freedom and, and that basically being working class didn't mean you were you know, in, in any way inferior to people with money. And you can imagine back then, yeah, that didn't kind of go down that well. But uh, no, absolute legend and probably at some point in the future we will do a show on her. So the 1920s uh, urban blues. Uh, This is when the blues developed a bit and became more elaborate. And rather than local performers performing to local crowds, with the success of songs like Crazy Blues we heard at the start of the show, um, that song sold 100,000 records. It was 75,000 in the first month, which back then was just unheard of, you know, a real phenomenon. And the singers of the time, um, you know, the popular singers were the vaudeville and the stage show singers who, you know, very powerful, very kind of cabaret, um, but pretty much stuck to the melody and, and wouldn't elaborate much. And all of a sudden you had these especially female artists who were singing around the melody and bending the notes and doing all this stuff that added emotion and kind of angst to everything. Yeah, there was... Uh, this un- unfortunate kind of classification of these type of records sung by black artists. Um, they were called raced records, which I think is horrible, but there you go. But what started happening is that white audiences started buying them. And that is the first time the whole thing crossed over. I mean, this is the beginnings of the blues influencing popular music. Uh, we'll go on through as much as we can today, but the, there were so many styles of, of blues and it eventually became rock and roll, which changed the, the entire world. There was no pop music as we know it until rock and roll basically burst onto the scene and teenagers with dollars in their pockets could go out and buy records. Lots and lots of different things we could talk about. Um, the big band st- side of things started picking it up. Um, what I would like to play you now, though, is another kind of sub whatever you want to call it, sub-genre, that's a horrible word, of of blues called Boogie Woogie. Um, I'm sure everyone knows what this is. This is the, uh, the the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Cleo Brown. She recorded this in 1935. Um, she was a Mississippi girl, sang in church, learned to play the piano, and uh, ended up recording this in 1935. I love this. This is Boogie Woogie. Boogie woogie. Hold it. 
is that Cleo Brown ladies and gentlemen you are most welcome so the big band scene uh, it was already in existence there were the territory bands operating out of Canvas City and of course they were picking up on the the new blues vibe uh, in the 40s you had bands like Glenn Miller of course in the in the mood you could argue is a is a well-known blues big band song and in the middle of the 40s the, the jump blues style developed um, it kind of came out of the boogie-woogie kind of vibe and the big band with the, the sax and the brass instruments gave it the kind of the power and the uh, the up-tempo dance sound. And then you had people like Louis Jordan and Big Joe Turner kind of adding the, the real kind of dramatics to it. What I want to play you now is um, one of my favourite pianists of all time. This is the Count Basie Orchestra. Just have a listen to this. Thank you. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, so whilst the big bands were doing their thing, there were still people um, holding the torch for the the solo one man traditional blues. People playing guitar, people singing, and of course, people playing the harmonica. This now gives me a, an excuse to play a track from one of my all-time heroes, Sonny Boy Williamson II. Born Alec Miller, uh, he also was known as Rice Miller, Little Boy Blue, and a couple of other things. He eventually changed his name to Sonny Boy Williamson, but there was another Sonny Boy Williamson who was also a blues singer and harmonica player. So it's a, it gets a bit confusing, but the, uh, the second one, uh, Sonny Boy Williamson II, is the guy I'm going to play for you today. He famously recorded Dust My Broom, Don't Start Me Talking, Checking Up On My Baby, Bringing It On Home, all those kind of things. Lots of blues classics, a really unusual delivery, an astonishing harmonica player. Again, hop on YouTube, see him playing live. Some of the stuff he does is just, it's impossible. He went on and played with people like the Animals and the Yardbirds and Jimmy Page. and yeah. Anyway, listen to this. This is uh, all about his car breaking down. This is My Little Machine from 1940. Mm-hmm. 
you've got a stand on top of it. Oh, but my baby's been born in bad gasoline. So, if we're talking about uh, one man blues masters, basically someone just singing and playing guitar, um, we've got to mention Robert Johnson. There's lots and lots of legends about this guy, and I'm sure most of you listening, even if you're not huge blues fans, know the story of his life and how he uh, was playing around, kind of busking and doing bars. It was okay, and then he kind of disappeared for a year and then came back and was just utterly incredible. And there was this legend about him uh, doing a pact with the devil. And, you know, I mean, it's clearly nonsense. He clearly went away and practised very, very hard for a year. (laughs) That's what actually happened, people. Anyway, look, he's uh, an incredible talent. Didn't record that much. But it's it's pretty remarkable uh, the way he plays the 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 amount he played considering he was just on his own made it sound like two guitars, and so many guitarists over the years have covered his songs uh, Eric Clapton and the Yardbirds again and I mean basically everybody that has ever played a blues song has done Robert Johnson's song. Here's probably one of the most famous. This is Crossroads from 1936. I'm sinking down 
So even though we are tracking through the, the various permutations, styles and genres of blues, uh, it wasn't really one of those things where it changed week to week. All of these things evolved and a lot of them stayed constant. So you had jump blues, you had swing, you had boogie, you had the big band, you had the solo guys doing the woke up this morning, you had the big gospel choirs, the kind of the religious and uh, the uh, church influence stuff. And all of this carried on in parallel. Retrogasmic. We're going to wrap up today's show, which will take us up to uh, the end of the Second World War, and we'll uh, we'll kick off the next show, which we'll do the, the post-war material, which will take us into, of course, rock and roll and uh, all of them, the more modern contemporary artists that were influenced by the blues. So don't forget, if you're in the market for a really sharp retro bowling shirt, hop on over to rosemary.nz. She will make you one to measure, much better than you'll find in a market or on some dodgy online website where it will be uh, paper thin when it arrives and uh, takes seven weeks to get there and then the extra large turns out to be about a 30-inch chest. Not that I'm being specific about something that's happened to me by any chance. Wonderful stuff, great quality and she's a lovely lady. Thank you to rosemary.nz. This last song is by the late, great Billie Holiday. Um, Another absolute legend, a huge talent, a very unusual vocal style uh, for the time. She kind of copied the way that uh, jazz musicians played and kind of warped and twisted her voice and adjusted her phrasing. So she almost sounded like, you know, someone playing the saxophone or something, something like that. She was plagued with drugs and drink problems. And uh, yeah, she wasn't a happy lady, unfortunately, but a huge, huge talent. And the recordings that she made are, are still to this day stand up as being truly phenomenal this is an absolute classic we're going to leave you with this today thanks for listening and this is billy singing i'll be seeing you from 1944 
in every lovely summer's day in everything that's light and gay I'll always think of you that way I'll find you in the morning sun and when the night is noon I'll be looking at the moon but I'll Sí.